0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, joining me from his home, I think, in Orem, Utah, is my friend Jim Kaysen. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. And did we pronounce your last name right?
1: You did, and I feel very welcome. Thank you.
0: Um, we're going to talk. Uh, let me. I'd like to give just kind of an overview of who you're listening to. Um, You're listening to Jim Kaysen. as I said. He is in his mid-60s. He has never been married. He has same-sex attraction. He knew that from the age of three and has had that part of his journey his entire life. Um, From a career standpoint, he spent a lot of time in social work. I'm going to back up. He served a mission in the Philippines in the mid-1970s, earned a master's in social work from the University of Utah. And I'm kind of skipping. He'll fill in some of the blanks. Um, But in 2000, he began working at BYU and spent the next two-plus decades working at BYU. And in June of 2022, retired as director of BYU University Relations. And grateful on behalf of all our listeners for your wonderful service and work at BYU in many circles. Jim has written a book called To Belong to Him. By James C. Case, and we'll li- link to that in the show notes at Amazon. It's Jim's story. And I'm just so honored when someone steps forward and would like to share their story on the podcast. We said a prayer before we started as I've been visiting with Jim. I just felt um, his story will help you if you're working um, the journey as an LGBTQ SSA Latter day Saint. Um, Jim's been on this road for a long time. I guess 60 years since you've known since you were 3 and um I think his print his perspective his gospel-based principles his long view of this might be helpful for you if you're realizing this is part of your story. I think Jim will also help allies, local leaders, family members better understand the road that someone walks. And um I just we just pray this podcast to be helpful, but it's really brave of somebody like Jim to step forward and share his story. Some people say, well, this is kind of a new thing. Younger people are coming out. I don't have any date on this, but my feeling is there's people of all ages and it's just a little more acceptable to be out. And um, Jim now in his 60s feels more comfortable. I think he's been out at times, but more comfortable talking about this on a podcast, writing a book and being pretty open about it. Is that okay for an introduction, Jim?
1: That's an excellent introduction. The only change is I did move from Orem and ended up in Provo. So, <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: Well, we love that. We love Utah County. So I'd love you just to, you know, kind of introduce yourself to our listeners and obviously go a little deeper than I did. And I think Jim will tell us a little bit about coming out if he came out at times, um, his decision to write this book, how he navigated this. Um You're not married. You may talk about your path that felt, you know, marriage wasn't part of your path and how that's worked out for you and just your story. So you're on Jim.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Richard. I appreciate again, this opportunity and for you making time for um, me to share just a little bit about my life Um, rather than um, rather than say too much uh, about details uh, of my early life. Uh, it's in the book, and I think that it will be a, it, it will be good for folks to actually dig in a little bit should they want to buy the book. But let me just say that um, if I was to give an overview of my life to this point, I think there are three major aspects of my life that I have not only navigated separately, but also concurrently. Um, One of those aspects is I was born into a family, and I say this in the book, and I love my parents. Um, My father died when I was 16. My mother died when I was 33. He was 50. Mom was 58. And um, their time in my life was uh, tumultuous. And yet there were many moments of love and goodness that happened in this family being um, my father being Catholic and my mother being LDS. And at the time of their marriage, neither of them were really active in either of their churches. And my mother was nine years younger than my father. And he had relatively um, recently returned from serving for four years in the Pacific, in the uh, the pacific theater of world war ii um we my my brother was the first to come into the family uh, a little over two years later i came into the family and things were just fine until one day a neighbor mrs johnson uh asked my mother and dad if she could take us to uh, her church to go to to just go to the Baptist church on Sundays, they didn't think anything about it and there was any harm in it. And so we did. And that continued on for a while until, until the pastor of the church contacted my mother and said, one of your boys going to be baptized. And it was like mom got hit in the head with the two by four. And she responded with a very uh, strong never. Wow. And, uh, It seems from a child's perspective that, um, I was going, I was going to sacrament meeting. Then after I was in Sunday school, I was in primary mother was teaching primary. She was a relief society visiting teacher and it all happened overnight (laughs) to me. Um, my father was not going to, um, take anything lying down so he saw that we went to mass every Sunday so we really were brought up my brother and I in two two separate churches eventually my parents felt that we were old enough to where we could make decisions about religious affiliation and I had always had these deep deep spiritual feelings in my life Spirituality and religious things were very important to me. I loved music. I loved the grandeur of the Catholic Church. I loved the pageantry, the organs, the choirs. And yet I loved the tabernacle organ. I loved the tabernacle choir. I loved the choir in the ward that I was attending. Music was so deeply embedded into me and was growing at the same rate as my religious beliefs and feelings I should say not beliefs but in tandem with each other it had a significant impact on me and um, so mom said all right we're going to have the seven missionary discussions and we did and once those were finished my father said okay you're going to the convent and Mother Superior is going to give you seven lessons in catechism. Wow. <laughs> so those were interesting times because my mother couldn't understand how my father could believe what he believed. And dad was an only child. So he believed so many things about the Catholic Church because of the depth of responsibility he felt to not upset his mother, who was very, very devout. Well, because my dad married my mom, he was denied Holy Communion. And um, so a typical Sunday, my father would wake us up, and we'd be on our way at 6.15 to Mass. After 30 minutes of being there, as the priest began to prepare the communion, we'd go out the back door Interesting, and uh, head to Wendell's. And we'd get donuts, enough for quite a good sugar high, I'd say. <laughs> and we'd have a great time. And then we'd get home. And after a little while, uh, maybe a couple of hours, mom would say, okay, boys, get changed. We're going to church. And uh, then we'd go to church and go to you know, Sunday school and then come back for sacrament meeting in those days. And uh, I asked my mom the question one time, gosh, why do we? go to church with dad for 30 minutes and get donuts afterwards. And we go to church with you for nearly three hours and have to come home and eat pot roast. Cause I didn't like pot roast. <laughs> and that was a bad question. to ask my mom. <laughs> Um, she, she was very, very doggedly determined that we were going to, you know, we were going to understand the gospel and we were going to realize that it was what she considered to be the right church to join well let me skip ahead just a little bit um john decided to join join the church um and he my father was terribly unhappy about it and really put my brother through quite um, quite a little punishment over the issue i didn't want to divide the family so i just thought well maybe i should be maybe i should be catholic and then there's Two, two members of the church and two members of the Catholic Church and this will help matters and the more I tried to think about it, the worse I felt. And um, one day I just said, Dad I'm going to I'm going to change my mind and join the LDS church and hell hath no fury like my father did over that wow. and uh, he well, let me put it to you this way. my grandmother never forgave either my brother or me or my mother. And uh, that was a rough road with her from then on. Um, So there was quite a price that had to be paid at a rather young age to decide what was I going to do religiously. Music continued to grow. I'd been blessed with the gift of music and harmony, but it's, you know, gifts of the spirit are always, they always, I shouldn't say always, that's an absolute, but they, tend to come 99% of the time in raw form. And the Lord says, now you have this capacity, but I want you to go to work and I want you to develop these gifts. And uh, so I went to work. I mean, I begged my parents for a piano at eight years old, pled with them to give me a piano and I just absorbed everything I could. And then at 16, I started playing the organ and, um, had a magnificent teacher down in Las Vegas. And as soon as my mission was over, I was on my way to BYU to study organ with one of the tabernacle organists. And um, so with an undergrad degree, you know, I in organ performance, I've done an awful lot with that throughout my life and I'm still doing it. Um, So, you know, in tandem, those two things were going on. There was one other thing that happened though, at the age of two, I was, I don't know what happened in terms of the specifics of an event, but there were signs that something was very drastically wrong emotionally with me. And that was, I, I had separation anxiety that was off the charts and I couldn't be separated from my mother. Um my first day of <laughs> my first day of kindergarten, I think I traumatized all of the kids in the kindergarten class because of my wailing and crying mm-hmm. and crying. They finally had to move me into another room and call my mom to come come over and see if she could deal with it and um that was that was humiliating to her and very difficult. um It just kept getting worse and worse and as i was you know we moved to a new home and and um, my during my grammar school years i attended four grammar schools this wasn't helping at all and my anxiety just continued to escalate until my mother said we're going to the doctor we went to the pediatrician and he prescribed a tranquilizer for me and when mother started to see what the tranquilizer was doing to me one morning she woke up and she, as my brother and I were preparing our lunches for school, I was in agony again, as usual. And, uh, and she said in an announcement to the family, Jim, I'm not going to have my son on tranquilizers anymore. If you give me any trouble and you push back in any way about going to school, I'm going to paddle your butt all the way to the bus stop in front of your friends (laughs) every morning that you do. Well, I was dumb (laughs) and I decided to put her to the test. And so so, uh, she remained true to her word. And that first day she paddled my butt all the way up to that bus stop and onto the bus. Wow, and uh, it was then that I knew that this was something I would be dealing with in silence.
0: In silence, and so
1: that's where it went—agonizing, um, agonizing, agonizing anxiety—to um, the point to where it was, it was overcoming everything. I, I could hardly even, you know, go to a piano lesson or give a recital or do anything, but I couldn't talk about it it was not going to be i was not going to be able to have that luxury now so these two things are going on this religious experience and you know my musical growth and 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 then all of a sudden this anxiety piece that's now just just taking me out and at 3 years old i started to experience some kind of a feeling that i didn't understand it of course it's three but it all happened because I was rolling around on the floor and my dad just took his feet and just kind of rolled me around and I was laughing, etc. But it was more than just a fun thing. There was something going on deeply physically inside of me. Um, it was a chemical reaction, actually, that, that that was happening and it just started to keep growing. Um. As time went on, I wondered if I could use this feeling that was so strong and so distracting, if you will, in dealing with my anxiety. And so I would, I would slip into fantasizing about being with you know, middle-aged men, and I would. Um, it, it wasn't. Uncommon for me to, as I, you know, moved into puberty and I moved into, you know, early, my, you know, later teens, etc cetera. Um, I wasn't acting out, but I was, I was very seriously, you know, pornography wasn't available in those days like it is now. But if I could ever get a hold of anything, which was extremely rare that that could ever happen, that, uh, it it just, it was just feeding this feeling, and I was in a catch twenty two. I was getting deeper and deeper into both of these things, and neither one of them were helping the other. Neither one was helping the other.
0: Just to so, comment, thanks for being so brave. You're in the middle of telling a brave story, but I just feel impressed to give you cover for being, oh. <laughs> so, for being so vulnerable because I think. It helps listeners that may be sort of in the same world and trying to connect dots between their experience and feel like they're not alone, not the only one. So keep talking. I, it's, you're very brave.
1: Well, thank you. I, I don't, my intent is not, this isn't, while this is about me, it isn't about me. This is to say if, if anyone can relate, or connect. I just want them to feel that there is hope, and that they are not alone, and it's okay. Um, and I'll tell you why that is in just a minute. I just want to let this last little bit. I, I want it to suffice for me to say because I had a hypersensitive conscience, and because I was engaging in in um, both my anxieties trying to manage it in a not a healthy way and i was also you know trying to figure out what do i do with these very deep uh, same-sex attraction feelings I, uh, i i had to go talk to church leadership and i tried and i this one poor bishop I think I drove him to almost the point of madness because he would, I I would just park at his door until he had a moment and he would so kindly and so lovingly invite me in. Eventually I taunted this poor soul so many times and he never knew quite what to do with me. I never told him about my SSA feelings. I would just talk about masturbation and you know, those kinds of things. He finally turned to me one Day and he said, Jim, you need to stop coming. I I don't want you to come and see me about this anymore. I learned the lesson, I was okay. Um, but again, I went I took it inside and I was having to deal with my conscience and couldn't talk to anybody. Mom didn't know, dad didn't know. Well, they may have known, you know, I was kind of a weird kid, but they didn't, they just didn't understand when i when i say a weird kid i wasn't like my brother i wasn't like other other young men who were my age i was different and um and so i just kept holding these things internally uh and and it and went on and, and soon before i knew it here i was going to be going on a mission even being ordained an elder, you know, receiving the Melchizedek priesthood and being ordained an elder. And the church was very, very, very important to me. Because I had fought this battle as a as a young child of, of this church. And I had to make tough decisions about be, being a member of this church. And um, so I wondered... If I should even go on a mission, because I had a problem with the word worthy. Yeah. Worthy is a derivative of the word worth. And if I wasn't worthy, I wasn't of any worth. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. And so I thought, well, I'm going to leave this in God's hands. I'll go through the, I'll go through the motions. And if at any point any leader is inspired in any way to ask me what i should or shouldn't do or what i should or shouldn't have done or whatever or wanted to know more i would be open not one of them said a word and so i received the Melchizedek priesthood was ordained an elder and i you know i uh, was called to serve in the philippines and off i went and um I knew I wanted to be as clean as I could be for those two years, because when I got to the Philippines now, mind you, I only had five days in the mission home in Salt Lake. They did not have the intense training that they do. I was still suffering with all kinds of variations of generalized anxiety disorder. And at the same time, my my father was gone and my mother was home. And I, then entered into a version of homesickness that nearly destroyed me and i knew i couldn't come home so this 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 new agony in the mission field went on for well over 3 months how could i be how could i sustain myself with all this madness in my mind i still couldn't talk to leadership about anything i just kept going and i just trusted that god god was not far from me And he'd listen to me. Well, I got home and I decided that after that two years of service and the wonderful experiences that I did have, um, that it was time for me to uh, maybe talk to my current bishop and explain a little more about me. As I did so, he looked at me with the most shocked look on his face. (laughs) Uh, he's a sweet man, and I I loved him, and and still do. Uh, his response was, "Jim, give me your temple recommend." Wow! And then he pulled out the general handbook of instructions and started thumbing through it. And he said, "I don't know what to do with you." Now, I it wasn't, but just a very very short period of time, and he handed me my temple recommend back. Um, in those days. Those who experienced SSA and talked about it um, were an anomaly to leadership. Uh, this is this is the end of the '70s, uh, and and they didn't know quite how to handle anything. So here I go, and um, you know, I I'd met with other bishops, and you know, I always loved them, and I always was faithful. I was serving in the church. I was trying to do my best. I Music had put me it had given me opportunities I'd never had before. I mean, I, I was shocked when I was asked to audition as a guest artist on Temple Square as an organist. And um, in my time, they don't do this anymore, but in my time, I gave 75 recitals on the square.
0: That's cool.
1: You know, I was asked to conduct choirs for general meetings. Including I've been asked to conduct three choirs for general conference, I always thought I was not worthy enough. Um,
0: that's yeah, really I, cool. I hope our listeners it, caught that that you have conducted three choirs on general conference. that guy that's got his back to forty thousand people. <laughs> that's you, man, isn't it i'm I'm got the right guy,
1: don't I? <laughs> that's the right guy, yeah and um you know um the lord the Lord taught me. A very, a very powerful lesson. And uh, it was one of the hardest, darkest lessons I could have ever learned. Uh, after I had worked for um, several years as a social worker with my master's in clinical social work, I um, I decided that I needed to I needed to apply for a position in the public affairs and guest relations office at, at uh, Brigham Young university. It was in 2000. Um, Now people said, well, why would you give up, you know, your experience and all this time and the work that you've done as a therapist um, and, and, and push that all aside and and go do something completely different. And I, I, you know, over the years, I told them, "Well, you need to know that I have not put my my therapy skills on hold at all. Working in that kind of an environment, doing the kinds of work that I did, because I was integrated with the president's office. I was hosting uh, VIPs. I was working with church leadership, both the men and the women. I was I was responsible for overseeing a staff that." That worked with international guests, ambassadors, consul, consul generals. Uh, as people came to visit the campus, you know, we were we were really involved there. But it was in the beginning of that responsibility that was on my shoulders, where the lesson came. And um, there was a missionary when I worked at the missionary training center for a number of years, that had come in with some real challenges one was um he he had a speech impediment and a disability that he was just humiliated by and it was very hard for him and we mustered a team i was uh, in a student administrative position at the time and we put a team of teachers and some others together where we helped this individual to try to work through the challenges of stuttering problem and help him to feel that he really could still do this regardless of what was what he was facing anyway um we developed a friendship and as fortune would have it eventually i had moved into an area in orem uh, where he was the bishop Mm. and so i thought it might be a good thing to go have a a good conversation with him and and to even share what i had been experiencing with ssa and some of my, you know, how I was dealing with this in my life. And um as I did and I shared things with him and and spoke with him about even some things that I knew were not necessarily well, well, most likely were not going to be well received. Um, but nevertheless I I felt the friendship would would trump anything that was going on. And, um, I was wrong. And at the end of the conversation he he told me that he needed to get some counsel from the state president, which he did. And the next thing i w- I did was I visited with the state president, and then he he uh, he said, "I don't feel a need to talk to you further. Uh, I'm going to counsel with your bishop." And um, that's what he did. The next thing I knew, within just a couple of days, there was a knock at my door with two of the brethren from the ward leadership with a letter saying that I needed to meet on a certain evening and a certain time uh, for a disciplinary council. Wow. And I was deeply, deeply shocked. I can't even begin to, words fail me as to what what that did to me Uh, anxiety oh off the charts um so I went and as they as we talked and as I shared again with the bishopric the the things that I had shared with the bishop um the counselors after deliberating had encouraged the bishop to place me on probation uh and felt that that was more than enough. And the bishop said, no, I don't think so. So the edict was given that I would be disfellowshipped for an undetermined period of time. Now, when that news came, I found myself being absolutely overwhelmed. God had rejected me. I was being rejected by the church. I was being rejected by my friend. And I didn't know where I was going to go. And I actually told the Lord, I said, if this is what you think of me, um, I need you to know that I'll continue to pray, but I'm not asking ever again for anything. I'll just be grateful for the things that I see that you've given to me. But we're going to be quite, we're going to be pretty well done in a lot of areas and i couldn't open the scriptures i couldn't do anything because i knew that it jeopardized my job i knew that it jeopardized my livelihood that i could stand to lose my home i didn't know it, whether i would where would i go work what would i do because everything now and and i had a good friend he never knew what was going on but he could tell as i was going to church and um and feeling so afraid of not taking the sacrament and being judged for it and not being able to answer questions or not being able to pray or even play the organ for sacrament services. I, I didn't know how I could bear it, because I had no one uh, that was aware of what was going on. This dear friend pulled me aside. And he said, I don't know what's happening to you. But I know you're in a lot of pain. You will sit with me and my family oh. until whatever is going on is resolved, and I'll take care of this. And with that loving guardianship, <laughs> I um, I was able to endure. And every Sunday, unless the bishop had something that was conflicting, every single Sunday I was in his office reporting about me and my behavior etc um the university was merciful and they said we'll we'll give you uh six months if you can get things back on track in six months you'll y- your job will continue if not and we'll have to let you go that was fair but how did i how could i control that <laughs> How could I? What, what could I do to influence anyone in, in that kind of situation? So day after day, I'd go to work, and I, I felt like a fraud. I felt like a failure. I felt like, you know, uh, the, the the slightest move in the wrong direction would incur them rethinking about these things, and then I would be gone. And uh, in those dark, dark times, was when a dear friend of mine that I had known since I was a child, uh, I felt that I needed to talk to her. And I did. And she was unbelievably empathetic. I told her everything. And uh, she said to me something quite interesting. She said, I have seen this before, Jim. I have seen this in people's lives. And she said, they've either decided to do one of two things. One is come back into the church, and they've ended up becoming an obnoxious, unbelievably uh, demanding um, zealot and driven the membership of their word and everybody else crazy with their zealous attitudes and what they're pushing. And she said, on the other hand, I have seen those who cannot endure this and have had to walk away permanently. And she said, I will not allow either one of those things to happen to you. And so she was on tap anytime I needed to talk to her. And she recommended a book written by a Jewish rabbi that was on the New York bestsellers list called um, To Begin Again. Um, Naomi Levi. And um, I started reading this book and it held me together. And I could call and talk to Jane in tears and she'd, she'd encourage me and she'd talk with me to the point where... I could resolve things in my mind, but it was, it was a dark and I'm going to use a biblical, a little biblical profanity here. It was a hellish kind of experience. Um, But the Lord was, the Lord was going to show me something. And that was, is that I belonged to his son and that I was, uh, he wasn't going to let go of that. And uh, I would see his hand and his love in my life. Five months later, there was another council, disciplinary council held. And after I gave an accounting of the last five months to the bishopric, one of his counselors said, I fear that if we do not give Jim his blessings back so that he has full fellowship in the ward and in in the church, that." He, the greater sin is going to be on my shoulders. Now I could go on, but there's more in the book, but, but let me just say this. The lesson that the Lord taught me was what I came to understand as an unknown perspective of Ether chapter 12, verse 27. When the Lord says, I give unto men and women weakness. Now this is not a laundry list. Of fallibilities this is a state of being that god has given to me that is a gift from him therefore i do not need to repent of my weakness but he gives it to every one of us so that it keeps us connected to him if we're serious about it and if we truly want to know what it is To be strengthened in our weakness. I consider my experiences with SSA. SSA is one of the aspects of my weakness. I consider consider my anxiety as one of the aspects of my weakness. But he is teaching me about these things. And I can tell you that I have never in my life been closer to my Savior. Nor to my Father in heaven, and nor have I felt in a greater capacity, the Holy Ghost, as I have felt since I have begun to ponder upon what the Lord is teaching me about this state of weakness, this being, this state of being, and I'm okay with it, because it's what is helping me in mortality to get home, because I don't. Belong here. This is just, this is a test drive. This is a place where uh, I won't be here, maybe for not very many more years. But when I go home, I won't be having to face all of this thing again that has been my state of being here. But this is the deal that I made when he said, This is what you're going to need, and it's going to draw you incredibly close to me and help you if you are humble to be more like me and so that's what's gotten me through all of this now okay some folks feel like you know i had every right and they've told me you had every right to leave the church you had every right to just abandon it completely but i have this concept in my head where i've never felt as though i belonged Tightly tight fit in the church. I have membership, but I have no expectations that this church should have all of the answers or that this church should meet every one of my needs or that this church is obligated to me in any way. What I feel about this church is that I have membership, I have blessings that I can't get anywhere else. I have these powerful covenants that not only give me power, but also help me to endure those things that this world is throwing at all of us. And I love the church. But I also have come to understand that administratively, the church is administered by mortals. And I can't help but believe that the Savior sometimes isn't quite so You know, that some of the decisions are made. I just, he has to let things happen as they're going to happen because of this agency issue and mortality, even when it comes to the church. But I am comforted by something that I learned very powerfully from the Spirit in a moment of the deepest frustration and pain. And that was, is that the atonement of Jesus Christ also includes the sins of the church. So let the Lord deal with the church. I don't have to. I can go love these people. I can serve. I can grow closer to my Savior. This is a magnificent opportunity. And I'm not going to be, I I can't see myself being damaged by it. I'm not that way because I don't have those those expectations. I belong to Jesus Christ. And that's good enough for me. So that's a summary of my story.
0: Listeners, I've written down a lot of things as Jim has been talking. Um, I'm just really moved with this story. I want to say things that add to Jim and not take away from the spirit I felt in Jim's story. One thing, just kind of a procedural thing, is um, when I first stepped in this space, um, SSA for the younger people is kind of looked down upon and, um, is sort of the right way to talk about this. And my feeling is let everybody in the space take the label on that works for themselves. And let's don't with, if you're in the space, let's don't throw stones, not stones, but just like, let's give grace to everybody that wants to take the label that works for themselves. So, Jim has used SSA. I think that's terrific. Um, Other people have used different labels. So let's don't divide over labels. I think Jim is pretty clear. His primary label is a child of heavenly parents, a follower of Christ. But underneath those main labels, he's taking on SSA, which is just the reality of his life. And so I thought you did that in a very, um, really good way. Um, Questions. A couple of questions came to mind. You had some, maybe some would call tough love from your bishop said, You know, you were talking to him kind of on his doorstep. He says, Jim, I don't want to talk to you anymore about this. And in some ways you said, I think you said that maybe it was good, but other ways, it was not healthy because then you just couldn't talk to anybody about it. Why I'm sure from your clinical work and your social work, talking about it is often really healthy to people that kind of can talk about it and work you through these things. So your mom gave you kind of tough love too about, she did paddle you all the way to the and that solved the situation on your mom's side, but for you, you just learned you couldn't talk about it. so yeah. do you you've kind of got a personal experience, plus you're a therapist. So any thoughts on that for people that are trying to help people that way?
1: Yes, uh, I think it's important that we have individuals in our lives that we can trust, that we can that can endure our transparency if you will and the lord was kind to me because eventually he showed me that it may not be family it may not be ecclesiastical leadership it may be someone else but he'll ta- he'll take that he'll take that on himself and if we're careful he'll end up leading us where we need to go the the last thing I think we want to do is form a union and start pulling in our union reps every time we've got something that we perceive as a victimization or, an, a, you know, some kind of unjust treatment. You know, I, I, could, have been very, um, I could have been very, I could have been very, I could have gotten hung up on the concept of injustice. Yeah. Big time. But how can I complain about injustice when the most innocent experienced the full force of injustice, meaning the savior of the world? I can't tell him anything about injustice. And while I see it, and while I understand how painful it is. And I've been, I have been treated that way also. I just, it isn't a cause that I'm willing to put energy into. I don't want to, I prefer to, let, to lead people to being healed and to help them be healed. And constantly holding the banner of injustice or victimization or whatever we want to call it, will never heal us. Because that's what Satan does. He's never going to be healed. And he doesn't want us healed. He wants to give us every reason to just keep doing what he thinks is the best way to handle things in life. And he's not a great person to take counsel from anyway. True.
0: That's a good answer. Um, You're probably aware of scrupulosity. We talk about that in other podcasts. And I'm wondering, in scrupulosity for listeners that don't know about that, it's sort of like, the analogy is washing your hands and the compulsion is washing your hands. And then that's sort of relief that you're clean, but it, the path to healing of that compulsion is to actually not wash your hands and live with the dissonance of, of sort of not having clean hands. Um, and it, with scrupulosity. It's people that need the reassurance from a priesthood leader. They're clean. And so, The path to healing, if that's part of your journey, is actually to learn to live with just who you are, and that you're not completely perfect, and you don't need the reassurance of the bishop consistently telling you you're clean. And so, I don't know if you had any scrupulosity going there. I don't want to shift too much gears into (laughs) scrupulosity. Um,
1: I I think um, I think we have to trust. That the Lord knows what to teach us. And we need to stay close to Him. Um, cleaving is not just a nice word. Cleaving to the Savior of the world um, means that He is ready to teach you and show you things as they really are and help you to understand your life and you in it. And so I you know i i believe that the smartest and wisest thing we can do is be careful in who you give your trust to be careful whom you are transparent with and be wise seek for real wisdom and let the spirit teach you and guide you and direct you it's it's essential In dealing with, as you have, as you've said so well, Richard. This, you know, whatever labels you feel are are good for you, whatever they are, whatever you use to describe you, it's only it's symbolic. It's a symbol of trying to figure out how how do I express how I feel. I've got to use these symbolic words because our English language is just so bulky and such a problem, and and take those feelings to the Lord. There are times when I just go and kneel and I just let my feelings come to the surface. I don't even have to talk about them. And and then I start feeling guided and I feel helped with things and my heart changes. I don't know how this happens. I, I can't explain the process. I just know that because I belong to the Savior, that's the important thing, the most important thing of all to me. And belonging to him, boy, it's a it's a great blessing in so many ways.
0: Um, I hope listeners are picking up that as I ask Jim questions often, he, he answers these through the lens of um, my relationship with Heavenly Father and I belong to the Savior. And that's been a story of your whole podcast is at times the institutional side, the administrative side of the church has let you down and the way you've navigated that is you've 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 kept this relationship with heavenly father and the savior intact and i think that's one of the gifts of your podcast is this long view of choppy experiences at times <laughs> and people that kind of said don't talk to me about it anymore is you recognized okay but i'm going to still talk to god and the savior still there's scripture that says he descended below all things so even though there's not a st- Scriptural story of Christ feeding generalized anxiety. He, <laughs> I, I can go to him, and I belong to him, and that's mm-hmm. our doctrine, listeners. So Jim's not making anything up. Um, he's just taking the theor- the theology that we have and sharing us in in real life um, principles through his journey that apply to all of us, and that's one of the reasons I hope everybody reads your book because it scales to all of our life experiences and your courage to be vulnerable. Um, You talked about innocent wrestling with your father that kind of um, caused a chemical reaction. I think when I stepped in the space, Jim, um, I kind of thought something went wrong and straight people through something that happened in their life um, became not straight, SSA or gay. And when I wrote my first book, listening to a lot of people in the space, I realized that's not a good assumption that people come this way. So some might look... Some might look at that experience of your father and say, well, this is where this all started with Jim. Something went wrong there in that innocent wrestling, and that chemical reaction happened, and Jim was straight, and now he's not. Um, (laughs) And I'm glad you laugh. I just want, if anybody's thinking that in Jim's story, I think... Jim doesn't want that communicated. Um, I'm thinking that that was pretty innocent. There was no, even if you were a survivor of sexual abuse, which sounds like is not part of your story that I learned from listeners. um, You know, there's just people come this way. And um, sometimes we want to manufacture backstory that explains you being SSA. um, That kind of keeps us in our nice, you know, narrative without having to sort of say, what's my responsibility here? Because this is who Jim is. So what am I going to do as a fellow at our saint to help him feel like he belongs? I don't know if you, you know, got any I, thoughts on that.
1: <laughs> totally, totally wonderful. Because uh, no, I've learned as a therapist that some, some folks are, are very committed to the belief that if I could just figure out the cause, it would solve the problem. And while I think it isn't inaccurate for there to be insight that would be gained from learning and and discovering accurately causes, I'm not so sure it solves the problem. Um, it may give you some insight. Uh, but I, I still believe that the way to deal with whatever we face, whatever the beginning, whatever the beginnings are, is to just do it with the Lord, and just, just, just work with Him on the things that that you know He He has He understands us better than we understand ourselves, and with that perfect understanding of us, we can safely assume that He will know what to do with us and so you're absolutely right no that was not the cause and you know <laughs> um same sex attraction uh whatever you want to call it um you know being gay uh whatever whatever we ne- we call it um uh, it's not contagious and it isn't something that we chose to just jump into um anybody who experiences any of this <laughs> realizes You know, I'm not so sure that this is, you know, what's this about? And by the way, you know, and and so it's painful when people say, you know, uh, you chose this. This is is something that you want and that you believe is, you know, a, a way of life that you, no, don't even go there with this. This to me, again, is part of the gift of weakness. And I'm fine with this, whatever you want to call it, if that term is f- offensive to you, meaning that it's weak, I look at weakness as a great, glorious gift and blessing because it ties me to my to my Savior and to my Father in heaven in a way that nothing else can. Nothing else ties us like weakness does. so hallelujah. let's 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 just look at these weaknesses. let's move on.
0: I love that. I love um, in your dark, hard moments. And, you know, I recognize difficult things happen to straight people in the church. And if they're married, they can go home and process this with their spouse. Um, but you're alone. <laughs> um, you don't really have somebody to say this. I just went through this and to talk over a meal. And I just recognize the comp- part of the complexity of your road is you don't have a life companion to sort of share these experiences with. And um, my, when I understand that better, my heart goes out to you, but I, I love then these couple of experiences that you shared of people that just, they couldn't solve the big picture and they didn't even know the big picture. Your one friend um, did understand, I believe she's a, she did understand the big picture, but your ward member knew intuitively or through the spirit that I love Jim, and something's not right with Jim. And instead of trying to figure out what's going on with Jim, I know what I can do. And Jim will open up if he wants to. But, Jim, you are, will you sit with us on our row every single week? <laughs> and to me, that's a, just a baptism ministering home run. And it is. And in your 45 minutes of t- sharing 60 years, you highlighted that story and your friend that you were felt safe sharing the whole story and how important it is to have people that'll just sit with us and validate pain, even if they don't understand the pain.
1: And, you know, Richard, um, many people have always said, well, you know, blood is thicker than water when they come to talking about family. And, um, my response to them has been, well, you need to know that blood is a corruptible substance and that it doesn't flow through the perfected bodies of deity. And I, and I say to them, you know, and, and there's a line in my book at the very beginning that says, my parents loved me as much as their broken lives would allow them to. That applies to anybody in my life. It's Okay. I can't have expectations of people because expectations annihilate and destroy gratitude every time, no matter when, when we're using, It doesn't matter what the scenario was. It is a very destructive thing. But the Lord has blessed me with a, a gift called my family of choice. And I have such dear, close friends. And, um. I have many of them that I can go sit with at any point and have incredible conversations with them. Very, very deep conversations. The Lord will help help us find these folks if we're serious about it. And I love it because they'll also, they're good friends because they also will say, or good family. They'll say, you know, Jim, you, you need to think through that one again. Or <laughs> maybe that's not quite as accurate. You're not seeing that as accurately as you should. You know, this is, This this is wonderful stuff. I'm not alone. That was a problem for me because I isolated. I chose to be alone because I was upset and angry. Even if I was rejected, I couldn't, it didn't, it wasn't sustainable for me. And the Lord showed me that it wasn't sustainable by this family that invited this friend that invited me to sit with his family or by Jane. Way to go, Jane. Richard, can I read you just that little quote? Please. From Jane. Um, in my book, To Belong to Him, I wrote down and e- I quote an email from Jane. She had, um, it, it It was, I was writing about my experience with uh, a particular chapter in the book To Begin Again by Naomi Levi. And uh, I had written to her and I was really struggling. And she said, I'm so sorry to be so long in making this reply. I just got off the plane an hour or two ago. Yes, this book seems so honest. It's a battle, and the battle is worth winning. But there is no shaming us in this book for our struggles. Her little prayers are honest reflection of all her disappointments and frustrations. No moralizing, just deal, and know that you are not alone. This is what the meat of life is about, and we came to learn how to deal with it, even if we often don't want to play anymore. I feel so battered and bruised, but I'm still here, battle scars and all. And you know what? I'm finally starting to feel good about myself. I'm a veteran of the wars, an old centurion, one of the guys you send to the past to block the advance of the Gauls, One of the gristled old timers you can depend upon to just hang in when that is all one can do. Another decade or two, and you will be trained to replace me in the lines. It's as good a lineage as there is, Jim. Enduring all life throws at us, maybe all any of us is really able to do. Think of it, God's legions returning from battle, ragged, bloody, strong, and heads unbent. On the other hand, some of us may be barely able to crawl home, but to be home, we shall return triumphant, albeit bedraggled. And will a loving father love us any less for our condition? He in the heavens will know our struggle. They will know us as noble, and that is good enough for me. Love, Jane. Wow. So, you know. I don't anticipate that mortality is easy, simple, or that it's a great, a great ride. That's not been my experience. The goodness and glory and wonder of the whole thing is that we have a Savior who understands every aspect that we experience and is right there, unfailingly, to help us and to move us through this place. And I look forward to the day when I'll see him again and be with him again.
0: Talk about North Star. Um, I'm deeply supportive of North Star. I think the podcast right before you, the guest talks about North Star. So share with our listeners a little bit about North Star.
1: Well, um, I've been asked to be on a panel for church leaders Saturday afternoon uh, of the North Star Conference, talking about how best to support and minister to single SSA slash LGBTQ members and their congregations. It's quite a it's quite a powerful weekend um, as they as they focus on sharing stories of navigating faith and sexuality. But the conference is June 15th through the 17th at the Sheridan Hotel in Salt Lake. You can attend virtually or you can attend in person. Tickets are available online by going to northstarsaints.org. And uh, I'm looking forward to spending some time there uh, participating again with them. I have been a speaker several years ago and um, was recently asked uh, if I would return and and share uh, some more insight and some more thoughts. So I um, encourage you to attend if you can.
0: We'll put should star in the show notes, listeners. Um, Spencer Thompson, and then I think his, his last year's president, done such a terrific job but all the women and men like you that have helped North Star, it's really helped me um, to hear stories as I've attended Northstar several times um, and doing much good uh, I, one of the things I hope you picked up is Jim being honest about his thoughts going on in his brain as a teenager um, that may have been thoughts that you wouldn't share publicly but I, I've thought a lot about thoughts and i think thoughts intrusive thoughts are things that just come into your brain Um, and i'm not sure you have the agency to control the thoughts that come into your brain And, and i think over time you can manage that but i think where satan really wins is if he can cause you to feel the thoughts you're feeling are just god hates you or doesn't love you or you can't turn to god because of the thoughts in your brain that's really where the problem occurs or if the thoughts turn into actions that aren't consistent with church teaching. So give yourself grace about the thoughts um, and do what Jim did as he continually turned to Heavenly Father and the Savior and I think intuitively learned that nothing he could think <laughs> or who he was could take them outside of their love and their desire to, to help him, even when opening up at times to church leaders was a choppy experience or a mixed bag? Any more? Is that okay, Jim? Any thoughts on that? I just, I, I just—that's kind of a feeling I have, especially for youth that get unduly hard on themselves.
1: Thank you for that. Um, I think one of the most damaging things that I experienced was not necessarily what was happening uh, in terms of church leadership the more damaging things was what I was thinking about and um, where my hypersensitive conscience was leading me to believe things that were not true. And um, there is no reason to get into self-castigation. There is no legitimate reason to think that you are of no worth at any point all we need to do is just keep moving forward you're going to stumble i'm going to stumble and and i need people to understand this is very important to me for people to understand i am no standard for anyone what i have experienced in my life of 66 years is what i have experienced for me if you find some bit of inspiration if you have even the energy to blow away the chaff that you've heard today and can stumble across a few grains of wheat i hope that you will that you will take those grains and that you will plant them and that you will let them grow and whatever you do remember that the second great commandment Yes, is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But there's a little bit of a misnomer there. We love our neighbor as we are coming to love ourselves. We will never arrive at completely loving ourselves and therefore having time to love neighbors. It doesn't work that way. We love our neighbors as we are coming to love ourselves. And we'll love ourselves more. If we will invest ourselves in serving and just listening and helping and listening. And can I, can I just put a plug in? I quit doing this a long time ago. I stopped dead in my tracks one day asking people, how can I be of help? Because it takes them out of the driver's seat and puts all responsibility for their life in my camp. And I don't need any more responsibility. I've got enough with me. Mm. But there's one word that does work. How can I be of use to you? Because they stay in the driver's seat and then they get to tell you what it is that they need us to do for them. And if we can help, if we can be of use, then we are of use. So there's a difference. The English language is bulky. It's problematic. It means crazy things to you know, to all of us. And we, we have to just we have to trust that um that the Lord will help us navigate through life. It it's okay. It's gonna be okay. Don't leave him. Don't leave him out. Stay with it. And that's where the great blessings will come. And the miracles.
0: I love that. Sometimes listeners, I do these podcasts, and I don't want to make this like perfect correlation, but some of my ssa lgbtq guests i learned so much about the atonement from them because it's not just theoretical it's it is they've had to go to christ over and over again um that's been their rock that's our doctrine but sometimes it becomes more real because that's all you have and I, i don't think either of us are trying to be critical of the church or leaders or parents that don't quite understand but it can get choppy as you open up. Um, and it, it can.
1: And, and I thank <laughs> you for that word. It is choppy. But you know something? I give my leaders a break. You do. You show much grace back, Jim. Because I, I, I seriously believe this, Richard. It is difficult for those who experience heterosexuality to understand homosexuality. And it is very difficult for those who understand homosexuality to understand heterosexuality. We've got to cut some. We've got to cut some slack and realize that this is how the Lord sees this. We've got to be careful. And I I struggle, and I struggle initially with that. But by the way, we do have to keep going back to the Savior. But the day does come when you want. To go back, not when you have to go back. You really want his help when you start to see just what he's doing. And it's rather glorious to see that he'll spend time with you personally in wherever place you're at. It's what he does.
0: Love that. This is this we could call this podcast. Well, it's the title of your book, Belong to Him. I mean, there's a personal story under here, but the podcast is all about our savior and coming to him and having being the rock. I also wrote down, you know, to be intentional. I think that's one of the things you're doing right now is being intentional. Um, as far as, and that's part of boundaries, just who you're going to open up to and who, you know, and I think you're at the point where you're saying, I, I don't need to share my story with everybody. I'm fine sharing it with this person fully, but I think you've, I think that's a really good spot you're in is it's a very intentional. I'm doing this my way with the savior with me. And um, and I have some boundaries just as I'm making my way forward that I think are good. And so I think that modeling is helpful for younger people, especially the savior. You know, and I do love the savior. One of the quotes I read from Ben Shellati, he's a new ally, he says, I thought the savior, I thought the atonement would make me straight, but it healed my broken heart. <laughs> And that was such a powerful concept for me because I've always thought anything's possible with the atonement. So I thought if you just put it all on the altar, Jim, you know, you could become straight. And then Ben taught me, you know, it's kind of like having blue eyes or being left-handed. The atonement generally doesn't change that, but it can, as you're talking about, can bring great peace and heal your broken heart. It's not broken when you're born. It's broken by the things that come into your life.
1: That's so true. And, and, you know, it's it's fascinating because what I tell the Lord, Father, I I used to believe that I could fast away my anxiety. I used to believe that I could pray and fast away my, you know, my same-sex attraction. But now I say, whatever you do, Father, don't take that away from me, either one of them. Why? Because... They are those very things that bring me greater intimacy with my Father and my Savior. These things, okay, fine. You know, let's move forward. <laughs> that's it's pretty powerful stuff to me. I, I, just have such I don't a great- know
0: if your younger self could imagine what you just said. You know, he <laughs> <it if> wouldn't. <laughs> but I just love what you just said. Um, That's just. just I haven't read this quote for quite a while, listeners. I've gone 10 podcast episodes, but I, it's the quote I read a lot for you regular listeners. It's called The Wounded Healer by Henry Norwin. And this is who you are, Jim. And you may not like me elevating you like this, but this is for all of us in our woundedness. Um, um, and you're not wounded from God. You're wounded from society a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, Henry Noron wrote, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is that they think others can be led of a desert by someone who's never been there. And so, and you know, some brutal deserts and you shared them on this podcast and in the book and, and the principles that you share help all of us in our individual deserts have hope you can kind of authentically lead us out because you recognize the reality of these deserts. And I think it's part of your wonderful ministry. That's probably been part of your whole life. Um, I would guess people just know you get it and they know they can trust you and they don't know why. And I assume that happened as a therapist. I bet it happened at BYU and I bet it continues to happen um, because of your book and the podcast you've done. So um. Thank you, Jim. I'm just really moved by your story. Any final thoughts you'd like to share?
1: I think we've covered plenty of. I, I think I've emptied my brain on. The, <laughs> okay. <laughs> on the podcast, you know, I, I do have to say one thing that's. Um, I've been known to have a perverse sense of humor, and have been told so. Not perverted. There's a difference. <laughs> uh, perverse is quite different. Anyway, I uh, I would be asked. Uh, in the as I was working at BYU, by a lot of people, you know, and even throughout my life, you know. Uh, so you're you're not married yet, Jim. Um, what's uh, well, what, you know, unless you weren't last time I talked to you, has that status changed at all? And one day I was thinking about it, and finally I came up with this with this response. You know, I've just decided to get sealed to somebody that's dead and forget about marriage in this life, <laughs> and they don't know what to do with that. That's perfect <laughs> and um and it sure has made life a lot easier when when I felt these pressures from people, but I think we have to remember to to maintain a good sense of humor to be to be amazingly forgiving and uh and to just love people they're you know even even when we may feel a little hurt by the things that people do or say it's all right let's just move along because that's what the savior's asked us to do so let's you know it's okay we don't know what they're experiencing or what their pain is so give 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 people a break and move forward
0: because that's what the savior's asking us to do that's right that is, um, thank you for teaching us that. I've been deeply moved, listeners. In the show notes, we'll link to um, Jim Kaysen's book at Amazon. It's also at Barnes and Noble. We'll link to North Star. And I want to link to this book, To Begin Again by Naomi Levi. Is that right?
1: Correct. L E V Y. Uh-huh.
0: And um, I think that's a terrific <clears throat> book. I. There are listeners that may have separated themselves completely from the church, and that may be around their sexual orientation, and they may want to come back. And they, this story may be helpful to them. This book you reference may be helpful to them, as they just want to start new or come back. Or, I, I think that's one of the themes of your book and your story in this um, book that you reference. So, um, Jim, thank you um, oh, for thank being you, on Richard, the podcast. For taking
1: time. And uh, lots of blessings to you as we you move forward with the work that you're doing. And uh, I hope that we can chat again in the near future. That
0: would be good. So um, this is Jim Kaysen and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and
1: Love.